Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. When it comes to quality and opinion, no mixed bag is more of a mixed bag than the Star Wars mixed bag. Whether you're talking about the varying opinions about the quality of the most recent trilogy, the unabashed revisionist history of opinions surrounding the prequel trilogy, and yes, I see all of you out there who say that The Phantom Menace really wasn't that bad. I see you we know do it the excellence of rogue one and the mandalorian or however folks feel about solo this particular week is a total mess so when andor was announced we were optimistic but also bracing for the punch to the gut and other regions let's be honest now we're just over halfway through the first season and it's time to hand out our assessment of the latest star wars offering in this episode 116 andor mid-season review do it. I am your Uncle Todd, and with me, as always, is the man who has been undercover in the Rebellion for years, only it's a rebellion against all carbs, and he has a T-bone stake in his holster instead of a plaster. He has been my partner in EDC for over two decades, and his Star Wars geek cred is unimpeachable, I tell you. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm all right. I, I definitely did not time my breaths right, and I damn near passed out. I, on I was going to say, bit. is Patrick going to have to like uh, pick you up there, resuscitate you, or? Uh... Well, uh, <laughs> it, it, as a matter of fact, uh, Patrick will not because I'm uh, recording this evening in my new study at oh. our <laughs> at our new house. Oh, who's bougie now, Mister? Oh, don't even give me that. Uh. You, you're palatial. This is nothing compared to your palatial manor house in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh. This is just a room that I can close a couple doors in, but it's uh, it is nice. So there, there shall be no no Patrick because I haven't All told right. him what my new address is. That's the uh, other part of this. I don't need to have him tracking me down and coming knocking at the door. It's bad enough I've got him like living like Harry Potter under the stairs in my broom closet oh, in the office. Goodness. I don't need Patrick showing up here. Are 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 you afraid of going back to HQ at some point and him not him pulling a goodwill hunting on you just just not being there and you just having a smile on your face like finally <laughs> You know, I have thought about that, you know, I'm and I'm 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 wondering how I'd feel about that cuz on one hand, yes, I would be I'd be very happy. I'd walk away and, you know, uh, you know, the only you, thing is you would is, be chucky at that point. I know, and then I'd, but I don't have a Morgan to like get bumped up to the other to the to the front yeah, seat, you know. That's true. Um, but on the other hand, it's like I I would I would actually miss the guy. It would be it was sort of like when yeah. we uh, when we used to have this really dumb dog, and we got to a point where we after after you know we unfortunately had had to put him to sleep, and which was horrible, but it, you know it was also the best thing for him, and we realized we could leave food out in the counter Mm. and, and our other dog was so the opposite, like such a good dog. Wouldn't even think about it. I think like in her life three times she, she tried to get it some food on the counter in, in like 12 years, 
you know, something like that. Like it was just outrageously good. And the times that she did, she would always be like, man, I should be better than that. Like you could tell she was beating herself up over the fact that she just did that, you know? And it was sort of that same sort of thing. Like, I, I think it'd be that, that deal. Like you're glad on one point on one hand, but then you're, Oh yeah. You have that mixed emotion. So I don't know, but I really, I mean, every day I go in there there's something new added. So I don't, he's getting awfully comfortable. I mean, real comfortable mm-hmm. with this living situation. And uh, like I said before, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we ever move HQ, the new tenants are going to inherit Patrick. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's uh, okay. firmly ensconced in his new habitat, shall we say. Mm-hmm. He's, he's an invasive species of a kind, <laughs> I guess you could say. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> he's like one of those plants that shouldn't have been there, and now it's just, it's growing into everything. Yeah. That's Patrick at HQ. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. But aside from that, everything is uh, everything is going well. Good. Well, that is good. And and uh, and kudos and thank you for for introducing the word unimpeachable into the introduction when it comes to my Star Wars cred. I much appreciate that. Well, I try and do what I can to you know just a, a level you up, sir. Well, that's what I'm here for. I always appreciate a little up leveling. I'm a booster. <laughs> Well, we got a we've got a whole lot of Andor to talk about. I didn't realize Andor was going to be twelve episodes for the mm-hmm. first season. That kind of like threw me. I'm so used yeah. to like the Marvel, you know, like seven or eight. I mean, actually now it's they're down to seven. Like it, I think it started out at eight, and now we're mm. seems like now we're getting down to seven. Like that's the that's the new number of episodes. So I was per- fully prepared for like, okay, and this is the end of season one. I'm like, oh no, there's twelve of these things. Wow. Mm. Okay. So we're we're just over halfway through the first season uh, and there is going to be a season two i guess they're actually starting to shoot mm-hmm. next month november and then we'll get it on the plus uh, in 2023 i believe it's like it's, the anti-mandalorian yeah <laughs> mando it's, it is kind of weird you but, uh, season one finale it's like season two in two weeks it's like wow they all hate you, man. Yeah, it's it's actually, you know what it is? It's like Westworld. Like, you're going to have yeah. to go back and yeah. refresh yourself on everything that happened because it will have been so long mm-hmm. and you'll have no idea. Uh, but we're we're going to give our thoughts on that. However, before we get into that, we have some uh, some bits and bobs of trivia and uh, other news that we have to get into. So what do we got for this episode's Week in Geek, sir? Week in Geek. so funky well uh we have uh first up on the docket uh actually this this week's weekend geek is going to be a little more combat sports oriented if you know what i mean uh and by combat sports i uh will first delve into the world of professional wrestling uh we have a uh Return that has been uh, bandied and, and ballyhooed about for for quite some time uh, that has come to pass over the over did the last use, couple of weeks. Just use ballyhoo as a verb. I did. I, I decided you, you inspired me with unimpeachable, so I decided That's to impressive. Well, I would have thought you. to do that. Well, thank you. How does how does one ballyhoo? And, um, and can you get arrested for it if you do it wrong? <laughs> I guess the other. Like indecent exposure and ballyhooing in public is quite possibly, quite possibly. Anyway, but, uh, you know, but but it continue- actually does sound like something you would have gotten arrested for, like in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, they, they threw me in the slammer because I was ballyhooing too much. Yeah. <laughs> Excessive ballyhooing. <laughs> 
without a permit. <laughs> but uh, now that we are in the the Triple H uh, era of booking and uh, uh, talent, uh, as as we uh, as we see things, uh, we are in a phase right now. Um, I, I wouldn't call it rebuilding, but I would say it is a phase of uh, surprises and returns. Mm. And uh, for those who are uninitiated, uh, Bray Wyatt is probably, as as we have spoken on the show very highly of um, in past episodes, probably one of the most creative minds uh, when it comes to talent that that has come through the uh, hallowed halls of WWE in quite some time. Uh, I, I kind of think of him in, in many ways as a, a Jake the Snake, uh, you know, kind of a version of Jake the Snake now, both in character, but also uh, from what I've read of, of him in, in terms of, of the sort of creative input that he has. Uh, you know, Jake, yeah, just Jake a, was, lot, a lot less crack involved. Yes. I mean, Jake was known for crafting very very good promos and 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 to to the point of i forget if this was in mick foley's book or 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 a a different wrestler's biography but i remember someone talking about how they they looked at, at jake as kind of the standard when it came to promos because he would like he would even play with the volume of his voice when, when mm. he would deliver a promo, he would talk very quietly and he would tell the wrestler, he would say, I did that because I want the person listening to crawl up to their TV and try and, and try to hear what I'm saying. Like I want their focus. So I'm going to mm-hmm. be as quiet as I can be and then raise, you know, like amp it up from there. And, and Wyatt has always been kind of that, that sort of character, you know, maybe not exactly in that way, but, but in, in, in terms of, of the way he's, he has presented himself, the way he has kind of carried his character. And so, you know, I would actually, I would like to add on to that. Mm-hmm. To me, he strikes me as, I think you're totally right in the Jake, the snake a- aspect of that. He also reminds me if you, if you manage to crossbreed, which, and this is a terrifying abomination that should never even be considered uh, in any way, shape I'm or sure form. Bray's listening. <laughs> But if you were able to crossbreed Jake the Snake's kind of promo and kind of that darker aspect, Mm because that was always kind of the direction he headed with just the uh, like the mile a minute creativity of a Paul Heyman. Yes. Of just being able to churn out ideas. If Mm -hmm. you took those two and mashed them together, which, again, a frightening combination. If you're Mm -hmm. just imagining those two people like put together uh but that's kind of what he reminds me of because apparently he also is it's a sort of thing i think even triple h had mentioned it you know if you can just harness that and steer it in a direction but he he can have this whole thing of like the next day he's like ah forget everything i just said let's do this thing yeah yeah it's like wait i'm just i'm still thinking about what you told me yesterday right right exactly so yeah and, and he's been through a couple incarnations um you know first as the leader of the wyatt family and then when he was summarily jobbed out and, and, you know, just not dealt with the right way under the Vince era, um, he came, he reinvented himself and he came back, um, as the fiend and not just coming back as the fiend, but coming back as a character who would wear this, this mask that was more than just a mask. Like it was actually, it, it seemed to be the sort of, um, prosthetic that was like, like things he would do with his face would come through in the mask, you know? So it mm. seemed very, you know, lifelike, like, you know, you, you know, there was a person underneath it. I'm not trying to say like, it was so convincing. You're like, Oh dear God. But I, but it, it came across when he, when he first debuted. And I think for the first, I want to say four to six months of his run, 
was just this enigma and this, you know, the crowd loved it because it was just so different and it was in the presentation was so different. Yeah. Unlike, unlike other masks where it really hides a lot. Right. It managed to actually accentuate and, and he, and he did a fantastic job of using his own body language and almost in a way of, um, Oh my gosh. uh, Hugo weaving. Mm hmm. Uh, when he did v for, v for Vendetta. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. With a mask that is totally just neutral. Yeah. He then had to accentuate everything else that he was doing in terms of like little motions with his head and, and the way he would hold his head and things like that. Right. Exactly the kind of the same thing that Bray Wyatt would do. So it did. And and then, then just that visual put it over the top. It was it mm-hmm. genuinely creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and he went on a pretty good run with that and, and took thing. And, you know, of course that was when, um, the uh, Firefly Funhouse, you know, piece came out where it was kind of like this, this really dark spin on, <laughs> on kind of like a children's program that was really mm-hmm. kind of darkly driven and, um, just really well done. But again, over time he was misused. Probably, I, I think a lot of fans would point to, um, I believe it was an event in Saudi Arabia where uh, Goldberg defeated the Fiend um, for, I think it was the Universal title or, or the WWE title, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, but just once that happened, it, it not that it was all downhill from there, but I think there was a lot of faith lost by by hardcore fans in in Vince properly using, uh, you know, this this great character that Wyatt came up with. And so as time went on, uh, I think his last match uh, was against Randy Orton, not at this year's WrestleMania, but last year's. And then I think he was let go. Um, yeah, which was very surprising. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's one of those things that towards the end of the Vince tenure, there was very little that was surprising because yeah. he just it, it was just like. Just a absolute cluster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, that's before that's, you get to any of the allegations, which are horrible enough in and of themselves. Right. Well, and, and again, to, to Wyatt's credit, I mean, he took someone like Alexa Bliss, who creative, I don't think knew really what to do with. And leading up to that WrestleMania match, they basically turned her into kind of a, you know, like like a female, um, I don't want to call it disciple, but but basically they, they transformed her into being almost like this henchman of his. Mm-hmm. With the fiend and and again, totally creative, totally different, great presentation for for her and and she and, and I've read about her that you know she much like Wyatt in in real life is a fan of horror, and so she really kind of embraced what she was doing as this sort of brainwashed you know kind of henchman of of his. Um, to the point where they did this weird thing at, at you know uh, WrestleMania last year where she turns on him. And that was kind of the last time we saw the character. He she, he basically turns on the fiend and ran, and Randy Orton wins the match and it that kind of ended the feud. And then like a month later, WWE just releases him. Yeah. Um, which was insane and still is insane, you know, to think about because of of the potential. But he's basically just been, you know, kind of inactive since then. And so as as Triple H takes over now, and we see that he's starting to bring back a lot of the talent that was let go. Um, because he has a very different perspective on, I think, their potential and what they can do. It was rumored and thought, well, hey, maybe he'll bring, maybe this is the opportunity for Wyatt to, Bray Wyatt to be brought back. And so they, there started to be some, 
these these montages that, that I just saw called the White Rabbit, you know, teases or something like that. There was this like creepy character with a white mask on who would, you know, say some things or whatever. But it was all leading up to the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it was there that um, we we see uh, basically after the uh, final match, um, basically the, the the arena goes dark. And they start to play, he's got the whole world in his hands, which has always been, a, there's always been a creepy version of the song associated with Bray Wyatt. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the first sign for the crowd. And then you see like different characters from the Firefly Funhouse, although not, you know, in TV form, but in actual like physical form um, being zoomed in on in the crowd. And then there's this door that lights up uh, and I'm going to cut through a lot of the drama, but you know, door opens kind of zooms in and you see this person holding a lantern, which has always been kind of the signature, you know, thing for, for Bray Wyatt, you know, as, as he kind of comes out of, uh, out of the, the fog or, or the dark. Uh, and, and it is him in fact, and man, the, the pop of the crowd was just incredible. Like if, Mm, if people didn't understand how much of a mistake it was to let him go, to hear the roar of the crowd, knowing that he's coming back now and knowing that he's coming back, you know, for hardcore fans, the fans that really kind of follow the business as well, kind of like you and I do, sir, it is, it is a a huge promise to see him come back under a regime that may actually utilize him the right way. And so that is the return, but I will stop talking. What were your, I I know you watched it on YouTube and you seem pretty, uh, I I think the term you used was you were pretty glued to it. So, uh, what, what was your kind of experience as you, you know, watched this? It's riveting. I mean, the, no doubt. I mean, first and foremost, uh, WWE has always done everything high production value. They, they they started it back in the 80s, upping the production value. And, and you look at some of the old um, old pay-per-views that like Brian Zane reviews and stuff like that mm-hmm. on YouTube. And you, you watch pay-per-views of a similar vintage and WCW or some of the other shows that would have these pay-per-views, it is night and day compared to what WWF and now WWE was doing at the time. They revolutionized it. So now, I mean, so from a purely a production standpoint, I was like, this is really good. And the way that they did it, I thought was really good, which isn't, isn't that surprising, but it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, it says a lot about how much Vince managed to like screw things up that should have worked. Mm that you're like, wow, not only does this look good, but I'm buying it. Like you're pulling me in because I don't feel as much like this is just going to turn into some big joke or something or some stupid sophomoric thing that, you know, old man Vince happens to think is funny. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, even though you know what's going to happen, like when he comes out with that lantern, you're just like, holy crap, that's that this has a shot now. Mm-hmm. You know, because I would I would really and I, not that I not that you're ever going to get a purely objective point of view, because even if Bray were to go back and tell you exactly like, oh, no, I want to do this and Vince wanted to do this and that. I mean, you, you'll always have to then say, well, how much is he protecting protecting himself? And You know, you're probably not going to get the truth out of Vince. So you're never really going to find out like who was mucking up, you know, Bray's original character and then the fiend. You're not going to find out any of that. Um, what I thought was really amazing is, uh, I, I listened to, uh, uncle Corny, uh, Jim Cornette talk about 
his uh, promo on the SmackDown following his return at the at Extreme Rules. And you know what? Uncle Corny liked it. Yeah. Wow. Like he thought it was the best thing on on on. I think he I think the way he put it was that was the best thing on a wrestling show that week. Yeah. Which is shocking for yeah. the man who doesn't like much of the north of the Mason Dixon line is is shock. I was amazed, and his the guy who he's on the show with was blown away. I think. Yeah, like you what? Um, but no, it's it's riveting. And the dude comes out and he it's gives like, a promo. He and, said to I Jim, mean, "Wait, wait." He said, to "Uncle Corny, hold on a minute. I need to go look out the window because I think the four horsemen of the apocalypse might be riding by." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not a lot of hyperbole. No, it is not. There is very little in in uh, professional wrestling these days that Uncle Corny really gets behind. Yeah, uh, most of it is yeah. like begrudgingly, like okay, well, this doesn't suck as much as the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he liked it, I was like, okay, I think I'm, you know, th- this is pretty well vetted. Like this is riveting stuff, and I and I also agree with Cornette. Like if they don't go into like this supernatural area and they can they can manage to tie it into like why are why are people fighting what is the what is the angle what's the story then this is going to be amazing because this guy has shown like even when with stuff stacked against him or even when stuff has been meddled with it's still riveting so if they could actually just point it in the right direction i i don't see why you why you don't now have a huge creative asset right Right. And, and some really fascinating possibilities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's great. Yeah. Well, and, and you talk about the promo he cut, you know, the, the SmackDown after he, he you know, came back. And I, I really love the way, and again, I, I got to go back to Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, one of the best feuds he was in was when he and Ravishing Rick Rude were going at it. And, you know, they, they brought, you know, Jake's wife into things and, and it kind of blended those lines between, you know, the personal and the professional and, 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 or, or, or brought, you know, fake and, and real together in a way that, um, you know, again, I, I don't remember which wrestler said this, but, you know, talking about that feud saying, you know, what, uh, or I think it was Jake himself. He's like, what, what guy isn't going to connect with and understand another guy, you know, messing with his wife, you know, and, and what, what emotions he would feel and, and all of that, you know? So he, you know, like, again, just bringing the, the, the real and the fake, you know, you know, to, to, you know, I don't mean to say the fake, but the real and the fiction together mm-hmm. to, to blur those lines and, and help engage the audience probably more so than they normally would have been was brilliant. And, and he cuts this very earnest promo where mm-hmm. you feel like this is not, you know, this is not Bray Wyatt. This is, you know, I think his name's Wyndham, uh, Rotunda, I think is his, is his real name. And, you, you know, you, you get the sense, this is kind of the real him talking, you know, he talks about losing a couple people, you know, um, Luke Harper, who is, um, one of the original Wyatt family, you know, passed away, mm-hmm. uh, a year, year and a half ago, um, from, from a health issue. And so, you know, he lost a very close friend of his and he must've lost another one. And he talks about that loss and he talks about people, you know, connecting with him. And so bringing that in and, and really hitting that emotion, I mean, it just, it was such a very, and maybe that's one of the reasons Cornette liked it was just how genuine it was. You know, it just felt like a very genuine human statement that he was making, but doing it in the context of the story. And then it it was a great, like, I thought it was great that they just kind of cut it off. And all of a sudden you just have this like freaky looking 
person in a mask who is just talking about all of the pain and all of the the chaos that he he will bring. And you know, as as one commenter I noticed on that YouTube uh, clip, you know, uh, posted about it, it's like like they 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 their basic message was this was brilliant. You have you have Wyatt thank the audience and actually you know blend some some of the reality in. And now you see the character descend into madness. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is that is the Bray Wyatt character at 110%. So <laughs> Yep. No, I'm I'm anxious. I mean, like honestly, I've been I've been I've been enjoying some of the clips I've seen and from from the news I've read and things like that. Like I am about as close as I have been to not, not uh, to to getting my peacock subscription back and so also looking into getting you know like hulu or something like that where mm-hmm. i can get live tv so that i can watch raw and smackdown because that is the one thing that absolutely just makes me so livid about peacock is the fact that oh well yeah you can watch you know the reruns of raw and smackdown but it's like six months ago like yeah. there's no way that yeah. you can like even be like a week behind or two weeks behind no no it's like no, no, those are all way in the in the background. So you kind of need two subscriptions, which kind of stinks. But I, I'm yeah. about as close as I've been to to up in my game and actually starting to watch professional wrestling again in real time, does which is something mean, I haven't done. Does this mean we may bring back a staple of the free range idiocy brand, which was a every so often we would do a pay per view review. At this point, yeah, because it right. actually seems like WWE has their stuff together mm. and are putting together compelling TV and and compelling stories. I hear and, you, and and all of that, like, cool. And yep. I I kind of toyed with it a little bit with AEW, but it's, it was something about it that just I was like, man. And now we're kind of seeing the AEW's <sighs> flying apart at the seams. Like, oh, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something to that, but. Uh, with WWE, I'm uh, man. I am. I just need a little bit of a nudge right now. That's yeah. all I need, and I, I have a feeling that it's going to come real soon. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I th- I think it's going to be soon that I'll be like, okay, fine. Here's my money. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I, and and I feel the same way. I mean, you you go back to WrestleMania back in March. The only thing I was interested in seeing, and this was after the fact, was the debut of Cody Rhodes. Mm. That was the and and because he fought Seth Rollins and Rollins is a workhorse regardless of what he of who he faces and that was a phenomenal match but that is the opposite of what they should be doing I I as a consumer should not be thinking well I'll just wait and see what happens and then you know pick and choose the little bits and parts that I want to see mm-hmm. get me excited about the product get me excited about the characters help me know that at least seventy five percent of that card is going to hit, you know, my interest and, and, and engage me in -hmm. a way that I'm going to want to see matches because it wasn't that long ago. You and I did, I remember we did that survivor series one. And quite honestly, that was one of the stronger cards I remember seeing because it involved NXT, it involved SmackDown, involved raw. And we saw a lot of really good matches take place. Not all of them, but you know, a majority of them were really compelling and really good. And, you know, they just kind of fell away, you know, from that. I mean, obviously COVID in, impacted a lot of things too, but, um, but yeah, now that they're kind of back, you know, creatively in a place where 
you know, there aren't a bunch of like, like the game has changed, you know, and, and I don't say that, you know, tongue in cheek because of, of, you know, the, the, the triple H moniker, but, ah, but, but the game has changed because the, the, the rules, the, there was almost like a constancy with what Vince would do. You would know at some point they would drop the ball or at some point they would limit a character because Vince likes the big guys. Vince likes this, Vince likes that. And, or just was, the fact that tag team wrestling would just, yeah. like he like vince hates tag teams Mm -hmm. and yet he would always it would just mess with these tag teams yeah now they're they're they seem to be building that but triple h is someone and and i saw this in nxt i mean i i watched a lot of the old nwa and wcw when i was a kid growing up and he clearly did too because there are a lot of elements that he's drawing from not necessarily going back to the old school ways but just taking those compelling elements from the old school and bringing them forward and doing them in a way where he's modernizing it and stuff and, and just bringing, you know, back a lot of like, like, I think people want to see like characters who they can invest in. And if they're going to fight, like you were just saying, you know, what is my reason for caring about these two, these two characters or these two teams fighting one another, you know, like well, getting it, back to those basics is huge. Yeah. I, Paul Heyman described it beautifully. Who are these people? Why are they fighting? And why should I buy a ticket? Right. That's yep. it. And ultimately, that is that is, and it's why I, I think that, you know, even people who want to dismiss professional wrestling and, and all this, it is it is the same methodology of storytelling that you see in movies and mm-hmm. in TV and all that. It's it's microwaved and it's centered around, you know, meaning it happens a lot quicker um, than it does in in other way in other formats. It's the same thing. I mean, it's just it's using wrestling as a as kind of the the genre but the, you're telling stories and at the, it's character driven and it has to be. And that's why you, 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 you doink around with enough of these gimmicks and the characters after a while, you don't care because, well, why yep. should I care? I know you're just going to, you're going to completely mess with this character. You're not, you're not going to respect them. And it's going to, you're going to, you're going to disappoint me. So I'm, I'm just not going to be invested. Yeah. And that's, that's horrible. And now they're actually, they seem to have, a little bit, you know, go figure. You put someone in who isn't, you know, senile and who actually, you know, even though he's, you know, DX is always sophomoric, like doesn't seem to, you know, need to have everything be like a, the equivalent of a fart joke. Yep. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of nice. What, one wow. of the things I read based on DX coming back for whatever Rob celebration there, there was the last week or two ago, basically said it, it, it was the perfect amount of what it needed to be. Yep. They came out, they did a little of a bit, but they didn't overdo it. They, they didn't overstay their welcome. And you, you just, you came away just appreciating it, you know, like it it was like just enough, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think you just hit on what the big difference is between these two eras now is because I think, I think there's, there's, I, you know, Vince may be a very, you know, brilliant man when it comes to business and, and wrestling and so forth, but at his age, he's, he's disconnected from culture. He, he doesn't know what really gets people going. And, and I think to some degree, you know, now Triple H in, in the position he's in, I think he's, he knows or has a good sense of what the, the wrestling audience wants. I think he's wise to the things that worked very, really well for AEW last year and, and, and what worked for AEW over the, over the, those growth years that they had. And he's going to start doing those things. And people are going to start taking notice because now, you know, in, in a year's time from the time CM Punk debuted to now, 
we went from AEW could take down WWE and be a powerhouse to now, wow, there's a lot of guys who might want to jump ship because WWE is starting to look a whole lot better now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but it's very promising that they brought Wyatt back. Really enjoyed how, how they brought him back. Really enjoyed his debut you know, promo and, and, and the way he's kind of setting this up. And, and I, and it's great. They're, they're just, they're taking their time with it week by week. They're going to start, you know, just slowly drip by drip, you know, really kind of revealing where this is all going. And, and I have full faith that they're going to, you know, really pull, um, you know, something really amazing off with this, because I mean, quite honestly, if, if they screw the pooch on this one, I, I don't know what more, you know, this, this poor guy is going to be able to do if they, if they don't know how to manage it. So, um, but I, like I said, I, I have faith in the new regime. They're going to, they're going to hit it. Does this mean it's time to play the game? Time to play the game. <laughs> oh, never mind. Oh, boy. <sighs> All right. From one, uh, one combat sport to another. What, what, uh, what was the other thing you're promising us here? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Uh, well, we're going to do, as we have over the last couple episodes, a, uh, a little bit of a trailer watch and discussion on a gem that popped up, uh, this past week. Uh, I, I forget exactly how uncle Todd phrased it, but I think, uh, we'll, we'll just default to the Ron Simmons day. Um, pretty much because uh, Creed three official trailer came out this week and it is looking very interesting. Um, before I say anything more, um, why don't we go into the watch uh, aspect of this and then we can talk about our respective reactions to it uh, after. Yes, indeed. So the link is in the show notes. Go ahead and pull that up. Uh, as of right now, it doesn't have any commercials, so just get that all at zeros, mm-hmm. and we will watch this sucker together. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready, sir. All right, pushing play in three, two, one, go. Off we go. There's Adonis beating people up. Or if we're going to hear like Eye of the Tiger. Doubt it. I like how they're establishing, you know, he's he he's at equilibrium right now. Mm. That's gotta be Kang. <laughs> oh, whoops! I gotta say, it's kind of interesting. What's the actor's name? Jonathan Majors. Yeah, yeah. He plays really unsettled people very well. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, like this dude here, he he doesn't look like everything is quite connecting. No. No. I'm kind of wondering too if this is going to be kind of like Rocky 3 where it's going to be that eye of the tiger thing going. Yeah. The man who's who's been comfortable versus the man who's been struggling mm-hmm. and hungry. Yeah. But it's going to have a different vibe to it because it's going to have that personal connection as opposed to it just being like, you know, what Mr. T and Rocky were. Yeah. Now, one thing I, know, I, I noticed when I watched this before is and tell me if you, you agree or not, is I think there's two matches between them. Because 
you well, see yeah, Adonis in dark shorts and then you see him in white shorts. And so I'm wondering, like I said, if it's going to be like that Rocky three sort of deal, he's going to get his clock cleaned and then he's going to yeah. come back. Yeah. Cause Kang there's got his, uh, he's got the titles. Yeah. Yep. Which is okay. I mean, I can live with that kind of, oh man, that looked amazing. That looked amazing. Oh Yeah. I love how it's it's Creed three on three three twenty three. <laughs> I know that's like it's it's you have a no silly reason thing. to not know when this is coming out. It involves a three. <laughs> yeah, it's a silly thing, but I appreciate it. Oh no, gosh. that looks that looks good. I mean, and I and let me just kind of couch this. I am not expecting this to be, um, you know citizen kane or anything like that like it citizen kang maybe but uh it's not going to be like i'm not judging this as like fine cinema this looks like it's going to be a good story it's going to be a good rocky story you know rocky-esque story Mm -hmm. and it's going to hit it seems like it's going to hit all the notes so i'm i'm down for this and it looks like it's going to be you know well done um you know, yeah, it seems like it's gonna follow somewhat of the beats of of Rocky Three. I kind of wonder if we're going to get Sylvester Stallone in this. Is he gonna play kind of the, you know, the guy that, in the same way that uh, you know, Apollo kind of gets Rocky back to get that Eye of the Tiger sort mm-hmm. of thing, or mm-hmm. I I don't know, but um, I'm I'm in. I mean, totally. I think Creed One and Two were really good. Yeah. Especially Creed, the first Creed was amazing. Oh, an yeah. amazing yeah. take on that, and then taking it in a totally different direction. So I'm I'm down for it. What about you? Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I I kind of feel like they're bringing in beats from like Rocky Five with you know him taking you know his friend in much in the same way Rocky took in Tommy Gunn, and then mm. you know kind of creating the monster and the monster turning on you. Um, and then, like I said, I, I, I feel like it's in some ways like Creed three where, or sorry, Rocky three, where, you know, it's that story of, you know, being at equilibrium, being comfortable versus, you know, really having nothing and, and, you know, just, just having nothing to lose. And so you throw everything into the fight that you're going into. And, um, and so, you know, I think those themes will probably be explored. So it, it may not uncover or break any new ground you know, in that sense, but I am curious where it's a more personal story. If, you know, there's details that we just haven't seen from the trailer, um, that we get when we watch the actual movie that will maybe give it some more depth and maybe enough of a separation from Rocky three, where it, it, it isn't a complete clone of it. You know, I mean, I think like any of these stories, right. Your, your, your protagonist is going to have to suffer something. Otherwise what, you know, what is the engagement part of this for the audience, right? If, 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 if Adonis goes in there and just mows him down, it's like, what is that then? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. but if Adonis is struggling with something and, you know, working through that and, and, you know, this, like, like his trainer was saying, like letting the past be the past and moving forward, there must be something in there that is going to bring some heart and some depth to it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the Creed one phenomenal Creed two was, was amazing as well. Um, really enjoyed the fight sequences in Creed two, honestly. Um, I mean, Creed one had good ones as well, but, but I, I just felt like they're, they're bringing an intelligence into the fighting. Like, even though these guys are, are landing way more punches than what you'd normally see probably in a boxing match, 
I think they're bringing some intelligence into the fight, you know, and, and strategy into the fight that that may have been lacking in past Rocky outings and and and, and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm I'm super excited. And yeah, like I said, Jonathan Majors, whether it be the man who remains or uh, whoever this new character is, which is not Clubber Lang's son, thankfully. Yeah, uh, I was a little worried about that. I'm like, oh come on, no, don't. <laughs> He's going to go and slay all of the sons of Rocky's past. Oh, my gosh. Please tell me it's not like, you know, it's oh not like, gosh, you know, Phil Lang or something. Yeah. I don't Phil C.M. Lang. <laughs> oh, geez, that would be rough. Oh, no, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not do oh, that. Dear. Oh, dear. Anyways. <laughs> But yeah, point Although, well taken. Although oddly sir. now, I do kind of want to see that movie. Like, damn you! <laughs> like, kinda, well, well I, you said Phil Lang, so I thought Phil Brooks, and I thought let's bring the CM Punk thing in. So why not? It's a it's a very it's a very strange mu- mu- uh, movie. It's the son of Clubber Lang who is converted to Judaism. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! It's a, it's that old uh, what was it uh, the old uh, Billy Crystal bit where he imitated Muhammad Ali and he and he's and he's doing an interview with Howard Cosell and he's yeah. talking about. I have new religious beliefs. I've converted Judaism. I want to be known as Izzy Iskowitz. <laughs> That's right. I am the greatest of, uh, how do you put it? I am the greatest of all. Of, uh, no, he's like, I am the greatest of all. Yes, <laughs> I am the greatest of all time. That's right. That's exactly how it goes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, yeah. March 3rd. Cannot Maybe come. that could be Creed 4. Maybe. There, oh, there we go. There <laughs> we go. Good. All right. Well, uh, that, my friends, is a combat sports-oriented week in geek. And once again, Tim just taking over the show, just taking it over, pushing that boundary. Forty-two minutes, ladies. For- Jeez. <laughs> and if for anyone still listening, going, I thought we were going to talk about Star Wars. We're getting they, there. We're getting there. Yeah, they just flap their gums about you know, about very, no, I'm kidding, wrestling, yeah. and uh, then about fake boxing. It's oh, great. Oh my gosh! All right, so we are we are now, uh, as of this recording, uh, episode seven of Andor came out this past week, mm-hmm. and so uh, I just managed to catch up over the weekend, and uh, we're going to kind of go through this thing, and and uh, it seems like you've got some some thoughts here. You have oh. some you have some thoughts on this, but uh, for those, if you, I mean. I, you know what? I don't even know how if you don't know anything about this character or about this, you know, kind of where this sits in the in the uh, overall story of Star Wars. But it, I love how at um, the first episode, they actually they use the the same time measurement that a lot of. Uh, people are using now or a lot of star wars fans use of, of you know before the battle of yavin yeah and after the battle of yavin like B-U-I. they use that as a marker of like uh, to set it in context and i'm like wow that is kind of cool that yeah. like that is the that is the thing and they did that at the beginning of this this show which in the first episode which i thought was really kind of cool i'm like oh okay so this is gonna be this is definitely like okay this is for you geeks like here it is <laughs> you yep. better like it yep um but yeah, no, this is uh, it's great. So this is a prequel. To, it is a prequel to the to the prequel, uh, if you really think about it. <laughs> it's the man who was looking for the man. Exactly. The man who was sitting next to the man, who was sitting next to the man, who was sitting next to the man, next to the man. Uh, yeah. Oh, Robin Harris. I miss him so much. Anyways, um, so Rogue One, of course, being uh, essentially um, 
you know, episode 3.5. <laughs> Basically. Really. Actually, more like 3.75 at this point. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes you right up to uh, episode four. Rogue and, One's like 3.9. So, yeah. So this is, you know, this is a this is a little bit before that, but also sitting after the events of episode three. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I really dig this, but I want to hear your thoughts on this, sir. Why don't you why don't you take us into how, where you where you want to kind of head with this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I guess to start with, um, so you already mentioned it's it's a prequel to Rogue One. So I just love how we're popping seltzers like crazy here, and people are thinking like, oh my gosh, they're getting they're getting house. No, we're just getting carbonated. That's all. It's all fizzy water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So you know, from Rogue One, the the character of Cassian Andor, um, you know, as uh, oops, find my mouse here, as portrayed by Diego Luna, um, you know, really. Uh, so much good came out of that Rogue One movie in terms of of just the storytelling and and you know how how the audience connected with the characters. Um, I love the fact that they're going back and doing you know kind of an, a a in depth like look at you know his his coming coming to be as a character or coming to be as as who we find him in Rogue One, um, which also involves you know really understanding how he becomes part of the rebellion. And as we're releasing from these first seven episodes, how the rebellion is is coming to be itself. And, mm. you know, for for maybe some folks who are not as diehard fans, maybe it's not as exciting, but th- like the the kind of depth they're going into and the sort of depth we're getting from the galaxy uh, as, as we see different settings uh, from the different characters and what they're experiencing and what they're going through. This reminds me a lot of episode three, season one of the Mandalorian where like seeing him do that, that mission to get the child out of the, the, the clutches uh, you know, of, of the client or whatever his name was at, in, at that time. Mm. Um you know, seeing him as a bounty hunter using all of his tools and doing things like that, like that level of detail is is what I really enjoy and, and geek out at. And when you take the action part of it and combine it into a strong story um, that is also weaving in the story of how the Empire slowly starts to build in terms of of you know, it's it's basically tightening its grip on on the various systems and so forth. Um, it, it just becomes a very compelling story. Mm. Uh, and so, so I, I, I like a lot of, um, aspects of it. Um, you, you know, the cinematography is amazing. Um, I have an article here about, you know, how Andor did not use the volume. So I think a lot of the shots are all, you know, real, you know, um, you know, kind of taking a step in a different direction, just using real, real scene, uh, not real scenes, real scenery, um, real locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it comes through, you know, and there, there's an element of, you know, when, when they, when they started using the volume for the Mandalorian, I don't know if it was my lack of trained eye or if maybe they just had, you know, more money where they could, you know, kind of hide things better. But, you know, this last time with Kenobi, um, when we, we saw, there were certain scenes that I saw that I could kind of tell were in the volume. And now I'm starting to be able to tell them, you know, mm. apart from, from what reality would look like. And, and, you know, so I don't know if that's a budget thing or what it is, but you, you can see the grittiness and rawness of, of, of these settings. Um, it, it lends some, some realness to it. Uh, it, it also, um, you know, helps kind of set the tone and, and, you know, the mood, 
for what's going on, you know, where, where a lot of these civilizations are now oppressed and, and are feeling the oppression from the empire. Um, yeah, like, like, like they're just making a lot of things really tangible through little details like the cinematography and like the music. Um, music is very Blade Runner-esque at times, um, which I absolutely love. Mm. Um, I'm a huge fan of that movie and, and what that movie represented for science fiction at the time in the early 80s. And the fact that they're kind of, you know, not, not to the point that, it, that they're turning and or into Blade Runner or anything like that, but just it, it gives you, it separates the series enough from past Star Wars lore that it gives it its own unique texture and feel, if that makes sense. Um, oh yeah, totally. No, because so, I felt that yeah. I felt that way about Rogue One, honestly. Yeah, is yep. even though it it does nestle into and in between all those stories, it has a very unique vibe to it, right from the get go. That I was like, this is not like any other Star Wars movie. Yeah. You know, it, it it manages to fit while also having a completely different personality, which I think is one of the one of the reasons why it's such an extraordinary movie. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, so getting into it, I mean, but before we, I, I guess, get into the specifics, um, just in general, I'll just give you my thoughts of I, I really like the way they're structuring the episodes. Um, I feel like we, we're getting these like three episode arcs where mm. you have some setting and character and, and character interaction being established in episode one. You have a build up to basically the climax that comes in the third episode in episode two. And then you actually have the playing out of of the climax in episode three. Mm. Um, and so you see that with the first three Casa, that would be me and Reckoning. With reckoning being, you know, basically the um, the uh, the security group coming in and and trying to find Andor and arrest him, and it turning into this massive, you know, mess of of a, of a battle with with people getting injured and, and and killed and so forth. And then you have Aldani, the Axe forgets, and the Eye, which are all basically building up to this heist. Which you know, my interpretation of that heist, and and I. I don't think it's too far off from what I think it's meant to be is we're starting to see the real seeds of the rebellion coming to be because the money that gets stolen is essentially going to now fund the, the rebels. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, so you have, again, in, in Aldani, you have characters, you know, connecting with Andor that he is not aware of getting to understand them in episode two, you get the buildup toward what they're going to do, the training for being the Imperial imposters, everything around that. Then you get to the eye, which is the buildup and the climax of it. So now with the announcement, now we're getting some more chess pieces kind of laid out with, you know, Mon Mothma, you know, kind of tapping into her, her lifelong friend, you know, in terms of her ability to get at her funds because she can't publicly do it anymore. Um, all of these things come together to, to build just some great detail and depth into the story. And, and it feels so different from Mandalorian because it's like, I feel like the story has now layers to it. You know, you have Andor's narrative that we're seeing play out. You have Mon Mothma's narrative of what she's trying to do in conjunction with, um, with Luthen. And, and then, you know, you have kind of the, the, whatever the storyline of the three episode arc is playing out, you know, as all those things are going on. And, and unlike Mandalorian where, you know, I'm not saying Mandalorian's one dimensional, but I just, 
the, you know, Mandalorian is him and the kid, him and the child going and, and doing something or mm-hmm. facing something. And, and there isn't really another track to it. You know what I mean? Like there isn't another narrative track that's really going on. It's really focused on him and what he's out, you know, trying to accomplish. So this just has such a different feel because I feel like there's depth now where there's multiple kind of narrative streams going. But I will stop rambling. Uh, what are your thoughts, sir? I agree with you there. And, and also in that it's not a bad thing. It's just the way it's set up. The Mandalorian is is focused. I mean, it's it's called the Mandalorian. Singular it's this dude and it's his adventures with the child and everything is from that point of view and it's focused on him. Totally makes sense. Totally warranted. And it fits. Um, and yeah, you add in some of those, some of those other tracks, but really it's, it's always those tracks with how they relate to the Mandalorian. This is a much more of a show, sort of like what we talked about with for all mankind. Um, with, with it's a larger cast with you know uh, with stories running parallel to each other sometimes intersecting diverging so there's a lot to keep track of it's just a different kind of show in the same yeah. way that Rogue One was just a different kind of movie mm-hmm. and yep. it's, it's not that it has to be better or worse or anything like that it's just different and I right. like that I like that a lot um, I do, I did find that article that you, and I'll post it in the show notes about, uh, them u- not using the volume for, uh, for filming. And it's one of those things that in the article, it pointed out something that's so kind of foolishly obvious that I'm a little ashamed that I didn't really think of it beforehand, but it's not the first thing you think of just because we think of technology being so ubiquitous, uh, everywhere and just being able to oh well we'll fix it in post oh you can cgi that you can do and you forget the fact that there is there is entire processes happening with all this stuff there's people who actually have to do this it just isn't a magic button um and i ought to know this because you know doing graphic design it feels like sometimes people are just like oh yeah i just press a button and the whole thing happens like no that actually takes me in hours to do that and to build all that and to fix it and do it that way um but they had to make that choice before they even started shooting. You're either going to use a volume or you're going to build sets and you're going to do exterior shots and all this. Like you can't yeah. do both because right. it's two completely different production runs. And I was like, oh, totally makes sense. And in fact, to me, the this feels a lot more like and, and people are going to love this it feels a lot more like uh the last jedi in terms of like <laughs> visuals and things like that because it is it is big wide open uh you know visuals especially all the stuff uh in scotland that they were uh the last kind of three episodes when they were on that planet um so much reminds me of like the shooting on the well i mean at auto because it's the same part of the world i believe that uh luke's island was is uh off the coast of ireland if i'm correct not mistaken yep. yep so all of that stuff like it's just it's beautiful and i'm like oh wow this is again it just makes it that much different and uh i, I i'm i am really digging it um i think it is very interesting uh the way that they are doing like these little three episode mini arcs uh, because when they said, oh, yeah, the first three episodes are dropping, I was like, man, that is an 
odd choice to drop three episodes as your debut. As I was watching those three episodes, I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense why you would do it this way because it gives you that first arc. And then you're like, oh, well, cool. Now I want to see it's almost like if you were watching WandaVision when they when they debuted the first two episodes, you kind of needed to see how that was going to play out over the next episode back to back and then you're like okay now i've got it i i get the gimmick with this show and what we're going to see probably next week you know um and and carrying that sort of like boosting the going up decades each episode for at least the first you know what was it five six episodes that was helpful the way they they drop you the two episodes this was helpful because it made sense then i'm like oh i totally get why you would drop three episodes because now we're showing this and then um we got through uh, watching episode seven yesterday, me and my daughter, because my wife couldn't care less. She's like, oh, you're watching your Star Wars thingy again. I'm going to go upstairs and just ignore the fact that I live in a house full of geeks. And um, and that's that's her privilege. Although th- during one episode, she's sitting there with us uh, on her phone and then would occasionally look up and say, who's that? I'm like, you know what? I'm not answering any questions. We are six <laughs> episodes deep into this. There's way too much to explain. I am not getting into doing the background and, and my own commentary track on this. Like you can go and read about it or watch it if you want. I am not catching you up. Um, cause I'm a jerk like that. So it was kind of interesting though, cause we watched episode seven and my daughter's like, uh, I didn't really dig that episode. I'm like, well, it's all table setting. That's why it's like, yeah. now we're setting up the next three episode arc. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, uh, Diego Luna is, it's funny. Like he's, he's really good in this, but yet he's not, he's not lovable. Yeah. Like his character, like, his, like yeah. he's not making it easy to really like Cassian. No. Which is why it fits very much with like Rogue One. Um, I did appreciate the fact that we get a we get a very early parallel between Rogue One and and the first episode of Andor, where and when we first see Andor in Rogue One, he just takes out that dude. Right, like he ends up killing the guy when he's in all those. I don't even know what you want to call those stack things or whatever, but he just kills the guy and doesn't really think much of it and in this episode in the first episode when he when he kills one of those guards unintentionally yeah at first and then he ends up having to kill the other guy out of anger and kind of out of like necessity it's a totally different vibe and you're like oh we are definitely at the beginning of this guy's story and now we're going to see the line between where this guy is starting now and when we encounter cassian at the beginning of rogue one Mm -hmm. we're going to see how he gets there okay yeah got it yeah, um, I thought that was great. I think honestly, the star of this show is Stellan Skarsgård so far. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> he is, is amazing. So bloody good at just being able to do so many different things, and it's it's great. And and actually, the the uh, the actors uh, playing uh, Mon Mothma is also doing a, a, a great job of managing to convey a lot of different emotions and information. Uh, very uh, economically, I will say. Yeah, yeah, and and you know to to kind of build off of that, um, you know, I really, uh, really enjoy like one of the details that they're bringing out. Um, sorry, we're kind of jumping into what's good, what's bad, what's ugly here, but let's just roll with it. Um, mm-hmm. 
but as you were saying about Stellan Skarsgård and and with uh, Genevieve, I think her name's Genevieve O'Reilly. I think who plays Mon Mothma. Yeah, um, how great a job they do at helping you really kind of understand and feel the stakes that are going on right now. You know, yeah. like that first conversation she has with him as he like dresses up as that you know antiquities dealer, and they go in his back room, and she's like basically telling him she's like listen, pal, I'm, I'm the one who's got my neck on the line here. If I keep pulling money out and someone finds it, I'm going to end up, you know, being the one who pays the price for all of this, you know, and Mm -hmm. really seeing like, you know, I think not that we got a romanticized view of the rebellion in the movies, but we never got this level of detail. You know what I mean? Like we never got to see the struggle because that wasn't the point in the movies. Right. And so now we're starting to really understand, like, these are people who are experiencing a cost like there's real stakes to this. And if mm-hmm. they get caught, they are probably going to die, you know, and yes. they're, they're, there's just a lot riding on this. And I think they do a really nice job of conveying that, especially between those two actors and, and their interactions. I really feel like both in, I think it was in three and then in seven that, um, that those conversations really kind of help set the tone of what she's contending with and, you know, and, and, and really, it, it's funny. They're, they're kind of like yin and yang, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mon Mothma is concerned about, like in episode seven, it was really interesting to see, like, you know, she is like horrified by the fact that he was behind the heist and what that's going to now mean for a lot of different systems that people are going to start dying. And then you have Stellan Skarsgård as the pragmatist character who's saying, well, exactly. He's like, they've been slowly doing this to us. And now by doing this, they're going to overcompensate. And now people are going to understand what's been really going on all this time. Yeah. And yeah, people are going to die. And I'm actually planning on that happening and it's going to suck. But what's worse, like letting us slowly die the way that we have been or getting the truth out into the open so that because I think uh, like they haven't said this yet, but I think as the season goes on one of the fueling factors for the rebellion is going to be the fact that people are going to start seeing how wrong the empire truly is. And that is what is going to start channeling momentum and into building out the rebellion into being this formidable force that, I mean, small, but formidable force that goes after and tries to, you know, derail what the empire is doing. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to go through some of this because, there's a lot to hold in your head at once because um, when we talk about getting down to the nitty gritty, the details, which I, which are the things that I enjoy, I like getting into the, the idea of like, well, yeah, of course they're going after money. You need money to fund, to fund a revolution. That's got to come from somewhere. And there are, there are uh, there are definitely a contingent of Star Wars fans that don't want to acknowledge the fact that the original trilogy happened at a certain point of time with a certain with a certain context within the film industry and also the context within the world and all these things and now we're in a different context and it's okay for things to be different in movies and, yeah. and TV shows now um, like people talk getting into. Uh, again, the last Jedi and, and that whole thing on the, the casino planet and showing the arms dealers and getting into that people are like, Oh, boring. And blah, blah, blah. Well, it's like, but that's something that was never dealt with before. And we can deal with it now because 
we've 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 kind of shown enough of this like yeah it does they don't get into and people oh they didn't get to that in the original star wars well no because that was a reaction to the movies that were going on there was a lot of gritty movies that were happening then and it was all and, and george's george lucas's version of this story was like no i'm making this as as fun and like an old flash gordon serial and this and that and the other i'm it's going to be kind of simple mm-hmm. well now we can get more complex because if yeah. you're going to flesh out this 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 universe you kind of have to and I, I really appreciate getting into that nitty gritty because it makes sense. It, it, it shouldn't just be this glorified like, oh, and we're doing this and we're doing that. And oh, my gosh. And we're No, like this is the confusion and the and the 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 kind of concealed by the mists of time of, of, you know, what's what's happening to start this thing. And it's not yeah. neat and clean like there is. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do something, but yet it's also you can go back to the history of the United States, even even as people were working towards independence and no and and they were so convinced that, you know, the the U.S. has to separate from from Britain it has to separate from England. And there was people who were trying to walk a middle ground and there's people who definitely didn't want to. And so you're going to have all this confusion until essentially you get put to a position where it's like, okay, well we have to, and you're going to have people who are reluctant to even go along with that, but kind of have to acknowledge like, well, <laughs> that's what we got to do. Yeah. Even though I don't necessarily want to, you know, yeah. that's what we got to do. And I like how they're showing those different layers and how you do have a guy like Luthen who is, he's almost willing to be the Thanos Mm-hmm. in this like i'm i'm willing to do the stuff that nobody else wants to do and yes it's going to get more horrible and it's going to hurt people yeah, yeah that's what i'm planning on because ultimately i see this as needing to go there and i i'm anxious to see when we get saw Guerrera in here because <laughs> that is that is another dude who is along those same lines yep. of i'm willing to do what is necessary you yeah. know Man, it's it, it does bring out a lot of different texture and a lot of different um, layers of that are not black and white. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of stuff in here that is going to be like, ah, some of this is uncomfortable if you think about it and you really start translating it into our world. And it should yeah. be, you know, these types of things should be complex and should be uncomfortable. Um and I think that's that's what I really appreciate about it is it's again, it is a show that kind of knows what it is. And I love the fact that as I was as I'm going through these episodes, I'm like, man, this feels like I've seen some of this before. Like, I feel like I've seen this visual palette before the production designer in reading the article that uh, about the volume or the lack of the volume, the production designer from this show was the same as the production designer on Chernobyl. And I'm like, oh, oh, now I get it. And not that everything looks like, you know, 1980s Russia, but it's like, I get it. Like I, some of the visual language is there and I'm like, oh, okay. But I mean, uh, the, the cinematography, like the, the sets, everything they're doing is, is very, it, to me, again, it, it does the same thing that Rogue One did. It shows you something that you're like, okay, I get it it takes place in this universe, but then it looks very different. You're getting stuff that is like, wow, I've never seen this in a star Wars movie before. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I really appreciate that because I want something different. I don't want to just, I don't want episode four on endless loop for the rest of my life. 
I know that's some Star Wars fans like most earnest dream. It's not me. Like, show me something new. Like, I'm okay not having, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia. I'm okay. Show me something else about this. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm excited for this and I I I do enjoy it and I do appreciate the fact that it knows what it is and it's not trying to be you know episode four it's not trying to be the mandalorian it's not trying to be any of these other things it is its own thing and uh man it's it's to me it's doing a pretty damn good job of it so far yeah well one one thought or one question i had for you with the episodes too is did did you did you like the way like i i felt like episode one i think episode two probably four and five, you know, usually kind of the first two of the three episode arc. I felt the endings were very abrupt. Oh yeah. And, but yet I didn't mind it. You know what I mean? Like, like I almost felt like if anything, it it exposed the fact that I am, I have been conditioned or have watched enough, you know, shows from this era that I'm almost just like expecting there to be some sort of cliffhanger or something to kind of neatly wrap the story up and, you know, for, for that episode. And it was very disorienting when it happened, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this makes me think about the episode more because it is so just disconnected, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and feels so disorienting that way. But I didn't know if that was kind of your, your read on it. Yeah, there was definitely, uh, with with a bunch of these episodes where it, it just it just ends yeah and it's not and and i get what you're saying it's it's not a traditional um it is not it's not a traditional cliffhanger as yeah. we're used to in streaming or even episodic tv it it's just like and we're done yeah you're like whoa there's like no it's not a tease or anything it's just like okay and then this chapter is done it is much it to me it's much more of a a traditional chapter in a book setting because not every chapter ends with like a huge climax or a or a uh, cliffhanger that is setting up it's just okay now this thing is over and now we're going to the next thing right you know and i did appreciate that it it, it, it made me kind of like i've scrubbed through the end of every episode once we hit that you know you know written by tony gilroy i'm like oh, and i scrubbed through half expecting the the mid or post credit scene and there isn't one it's just like no it's the next episode yeah that's it and i i enjoy that because again it's different from from what we've seen it's different from what we've seen from star wars and it's different from what we kind of get in streaming now you know not not significantly yeah you know i'm not going to say it's revolutionary or anything and i and i'm going to stop short of saying it's like the greatest thing i've ever seen for sure but i do appreciate that it's different yeah, it's different enough that it makes you go, hmm, hmm, makes you think about like what you've watched and what you're conditioned to watch. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And like I, I felt episode five was also another ending that it was abrupt, but at the same time, it it really had some power to it because that was what that was the one where Stellan Skarsgård was talking with his, you know, he, he was in his uh, antiquities dealership and he was talking with his assistant and, you know, they were they were talking about how there's nothing, you know, he was kind of you know, just fretting, you know, like going back and forth and and finicking with things. And she's like, there's nothing more you can do. And, Mm. and he, and he just kind of makes the statement. He's like, well, by tomorrow it'll either be dead or it'll be, you know, moving forward or however he puts it. And he just kind of stares off and that's how the episode ends. And 
probably for some people that may seem like a logical conclusion to an episode, but it just like, it felt very abrupt, but yet it had power to it because it was Mm -hmm. like this acknowledgement of they're about to go do something. I have no control over this. And this movement either lives or dies by what happens tomorrow with what they do. And it just gave it like such gravity. I I thought it was brilliant. I just thought it was such a brilliant ending to kind of get, you know, episode six teed up for, you know, just being excited for it and seeing how the story plays out. Um, Well, yeah, because in most of these, in most of these scenes in Star Wars, we are right with the people who are in the action. Yeah. And you don't see that other side of it. Yeah. They'll flash back to people listening to the battle or whatever. But most of the time, you're in the position of being with Luke or being with Han or being mm-hmm. with whoever is in the middle of the fight. This is very much like going back to like Battlestar Galactica when Starbuck is injured and she has to plan the op and then she has to sit there and listen to it unfold. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing she can do about it. She's done everything she can ahead of time and now you just have to let it play out. And And Adama is there like this is... This is how it goes because he's an old hand at this now. He's like, I used to be the one getting in the getting in the Viper, and now I've got to sit here and you know this is what it's like, kid. Yep. Um, it's that same sort of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And agreed. It's not what you normally see in Star Wars. Normally, it's like you know, it's uh, it's Poe. Like I, I'm going to go jump in a X-wing and blow some stuff up. You know that sort of thing. Right. That's the perspective we usually have. Yeah. And in this, I mean, you really, you're as, even though we don't spend a ton of time with Luthen, you, you're very much, Skarsgård does a very good job of making you feel like he is, or I, his performance and then also the writing and also the directing and everything else. Like there is, it, it feels like he is permeating in the different aspects, especially the, you know, the, the arc with the, the raid on the base and all that. Mm-hmm. It just feels like he's there, even when he's not there. Yeah, um, yeah. Like there's a, a I, can't, I think I've discussed it with you before, but the show Titus, mm-hmm. and the very first episode of that, the the pilot is called Dad's Dead, which I mean, good God Almighty, that's an interesting way to start off your comedy show. And they point out in the commentary track, though, in most of the scenes are shot in this living room. And there is the door to the bedroom, the father's bedroom in the background. Like it's, it's the, it, here's the living room and then a, a kind of an opening into a hallway. And then on the other side of that hallway is the door to the dad's bedroom. And no one wants to go in and find dad dead. And so the whole story kind of unfolds for the most part with this door in the background. And, and they're talking in the commentary track the, the director and the the writer and, and the star and and like that door kind of becomes its own character like it's it's the it's standing in for the dad that you're talking about through the whole show yeah and in the same way like some of the just some of the stuff that's happening here like I really felt like Luthen was was omnipresent in a way over the entire thing which was a very interesting vibe for the the show you know especially in that arc. And by the way, the, the dad isn't dead in Titus. Like he comes back. Just uh, spoilers, but I also want to make sure that people don't, you know, <laughs> don't worry. I don't know why I care. I mean, the show is like twenty years old at this point, but still, I just wanted to wanted to lend a little comfort to our our listeners. Very nice, very nice. Um, what were your thoughts I, on the uh, the you know kind of 
the the weaving of the subtle to the heavy handed like oppression that that you know goes on with the empire like we start out with this kind of microcosm like the, like when when uh you know when cassian you know murders or i mean yeah he does he he, he murders those 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 two soldiers first inadvertently and the other one purposefully well, they're, they're security guards they're so, not even soldiers they're yeah. just like they're they're essentially like mall cops in ba- a way <laughs> basically yeah yeah so so not empire at all but mm. I, I thought it was kind of interesting from like episode one now to seven, just like how things have escalated, you know, and how we start to see the tightening grip of the empire, you know, and, and, you know, we see it in, in, you know, after uh, episode three, I think it was in episode four when um, the one character, I think his name is Siren, Siren Karn, the one who, who initiates going after Andor mm. and, and who is just clearly this sort of driven individual. Like he is looking to, climb the ladder and 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 you know mostly just to get away from his mom oh my which, gosh who oh god <laughs> like yeah i would totally i would have taken that chance too <laughs> gotta be honest <laughs> um but no i i i thought the subtlety of it was was great you know start starting with like you said just kind of the security force for this planet and then it, it just escalates into now the empire takes over and then once the heist happens now the you know g- you know galaxy wide they're enacting all of these, you know, measures now to, to basically try to stomp out any sort of, you know, hint of, of rebellion at all. And, and it kind of, you know, materializes in a way where, you know, much like we see with, with, with what happens with Cassian in episode seven, where, you know, he, he legitimately was not involved in anything. He's just trying to go to the store and he just gets like completely, you know, bamboozled and, and kind of, you know, pulled over by this, uh, stormtrooper or, or the soldier who, who is just, you know, like we're starting to see the ones carrying out the law are, are overextending their mandate, you know, because they're, they're trying to, you know, almost go, go too far in terms of what they're, what they've been called to do. And, uh, and so I think they've done a nice job of kind of showing that subtlety at first. And then, you know, like there's a little bit of, of, of power and a little bit of, you know, this sort of overextension of power. And now it starts to grow and grow and grow. And like Luthen said, part of it is that's kind of part of his plan is trying to expose that. Um, but, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on how they kind of like amplify that up over these seven episodes. I, I think it's great. I mean, I've said I'm I'm well on record at this point of saying that. I it's baffling to me with what we have been shown both in in all of the the prequel and the the original trilogy how in the hell did the empire take over the entire galaxy being as absolutely incompetent and full of absolute boobs mm-hmm. of officers like how in the world did they take over yep well, now we're actually, you know, we're we're actually getting around to seeing some of the the competent and and cunning officers of the the Galactic Empire. Okay, well, now at least we're managing to retro this uh, retcon this in a little bit so that it makes sense of how they could they could take over. Because essentially, after that, we just all we see is people who are bumbling around and they're idiots. Um, at least now, it kind of the way that they're playing some of this, it makes sense as to how some of those things could have transpired that they got so comfortable, so overconfident 
in their ability to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do appreciate seeing that and, and, and also seeing the, like you're saying, uh, going from, okay, well, yeah, you can handle your things. Okay, well, we're going to come in and we're going to take over. And then, oh, this happened? Okay, now we're, we're bringing the hammer down. And then to see it carried out, you know, writ large in terms of like, hey, and this is what we're doing on a wide scale and then bringing it down to the personal of of Cassian, you know, getting swept up into this thing, which is funny because considering he's also part, you know, big part of the reason why all of this has changed. You know, it's like, ah, irony. Here come the or, you know, what is it? Oh, no, here it is. The consequences of my actions come home to roost, you yeah. know, that sort of a thing. Yeah, uh, it's again, it, it's a it is a lot of texture and a lot of nuance. And I'm I'm enjoying that. Nice. Nice. As am I. As am I. Uh, let's see. What else? We've talked about how it's a different rhythm. Uh, let's see. Oh, one thing I want to ask you is like. Is it at all, um, how do I say it? Not disturbing, but it, it, does it bother you at all that there really isn't a big bad right now, is there? It doesn't, because at this point, what they're doing, I, and I appreciate what they're doing, and it's the same thing that I appreciate when you have a good origin story. And, mm-hmm. and the reason why why Marvel has done so well at this is they managed to walk that line of like, okay, here's the stuff you need that you absolutely need to know. And here there's a bunch of people who know more and they have more details, but you know what? We're going to give you some credit for intelligence and let you figure things out. Um, what they're doing in, in, in that same respect here is a little bit different. They're saying, Hey, we don't need to feed you the big bad right now. Mm -hmm. You know who the big bad is. It's the empire. The empire is the big bad. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't need any more right now. We don't need to have like the the mustache twirling villain at this point. We already you you you're probably not coming into Andor stone cold, not knowing anything about Star Wars. They're kind of making an assumption there, and it's a pretty good one because even if you don't know Star Wars, you kind of know Star Wars. Yeah. Like you know you know enough to probably kind of like oh I've heard and this and that and the other. They know that, okay, there's an emperor. He's out there. We've talked about him, but you've seen the, if you've seen any of the movies, you know he's out there. Um, and, and, you know, there's just the empire at large, though, is a, is a good enough big bad to, to hang the story on for right now. I think it's great how they've done that. Again, it, it, to me, it makes so much sense because you don't need it. There's no need to have that. They've got a couple people now who are who are sort of functioning as stand-ins for like the emperor or for you know a big bad, but they're really just kind of in a, a more personal embodiment of the empire. Yeah, that's just the big bad. And it, and what else do you need, honestly? You know, at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I I I like the fact that we're not getting. I know it's going to sound weird, but but I like the fact that there isn't Jedi. There's no Force mm-hmm. that is being brought into the story. Um, and and you summed it up best. I mean, the the Empire is the bad guy, and the fact that this isn't Andor against someone. It, I mean, it it kind of seemed that way in the first three episodes because it was kind of like, you know, him on the run from from Cyril Karn and 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 the and the security officers. 
but really, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Cyril is just, you know, kind of a victim of circumstance and, and Andor, you know, once he breaks free and, and, you know, and takes off with Luthen that, you know, Cyril's, uh, you, you know, we see Cyril, but we still like, I don't view him as like this main antagonist to Andor. If anything, no. I kind of view him as almost like a, a you know, again, a, a parallel narrative that's going on where, you know, like at the end of episode seven, for example, the juxtaposition of Andor getting his six year sentence for doing nothing mm-hmm. with Cyril sitting in this massive, you know, analysis sort of farm pod thing. Oh, yeah. Like a galactic office space, like a galactic office space was was beautiful because it's like here are these two characters and they're both in prison, just different yeah. prisons. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so like I don't look at Cyril as an antagonist going after Andor. I just I look at him as this other character, and and I don't know where they're going with him, which is another thing I wanted to ask you about because mm. I don't know what they're doing with Cyril at this point. I thought he was going to be this antagonist who's going to go after him, you know, kind of like the Inquisitor was for for Kenobi a little bit. But I like what they're doing with him, where he starts off that way. But I'm wondering, are they taking him in a direction where he's actually going to end up joining the rebellion too at some point? I don't know. I've thought about that too. I I have no idea. But again, that's that is what is nice is that you're not just given like okay, and this person fits this role and this role and this role. Like yeah. this is much more of it. It is a spy thriller, and yep, it's there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of shades of gray, and mm-hmm. I like the fact that I I can't guess where this guy is. I mean, I could, but I I don't feel like my guesses are really going to be that good. Yeah. It's really just flipping a coin at this point where this is heading because I don't have they haven't given us a lot of tells in this as to as to which direction he's going to go. So I dig it. I yeah. dig it a lot. Yeah. And and you get the sense, too, from, you know, from his interactions with his mom, you know, he's Cyril. I'm talking about, mm. you know, he's unhappy with his family. And and it's funny because yeah, he and Andor seem to be like. There, there does seem to be that juxtaposition. You know, you have Andor in episode seven going back to his mother, who's basically like, you need to leave. Mm. I'm not going with you. You know, like everyone, I mean, she doesn't tell them this. It's his friend Bix, but, you know, everyone blames him for, you know, for for what he did. And, and, and it kind of reveals a little bit of short-sightedness on his part when it comes to the decisions he's making and the things he's doing. You know, he's very in the moment, but not you know, not really planning for the long term, and and you know, understanding that his decisions do have ramifications. You know, I I think his trip to this kind of tropical place to kind of get away and have fun, I think, is you know, really to and and then his his subsequent arrest is really to bring home the point his mother was trying to say to him. You know, to to Andor, which is, you know, you, you think you can run away somewhere and just kind of live your life. This is the the walls are closing in. You know, mm-hmm. like this is not going to be something you can escape. This is going to continue to ripple and 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 grow and fester, and you're going to have to face up to it at some point. And then you yep. have Cyril, who's you know his mother is just you know just laying into him, you know about you know everything, um, and and <laughs> and and just about you know his his failure to dress himself appropriately for whatever Uncle Harlow has or, or whatever his name is. <laughs> Oh yeah, because he's tailored. He's he, now he wants to stand out. Yes, which is kind of funny because it it is like she she wants him to succeed and be successful, but you need to do it in a very conformist sort of way. Right. Like it right. is it is a it is like this weird like 
aggressive, passive aggressive nagging that it's like there is no way you're ever going to win. There yeah. is never going to end well for you. And yeah. and he and that actor is playing that so well of just that, oh my God, this how? How did I get here? How did I get here? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I need. I just need. I need to take a bathroom break. I'm sorry. I'd no, no. Go ahead. Two two seltzers and a tea. Uh, just give me one moment here. <laughs> no worries. All right. You back? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeedy. All right. Thank you, sir. Oh, Ooh. no problem. No problem. Goodness. Hey, just before we start, um, I don't have a whole lot more to go through, so I think we can just – I mean, I have a couple things we can chat through, but if we want to – do you want to just kind of wrap up soon or – Yeah, no, I've – I'm – I think we've got this one nailed down pretty good. I do have one funny thing I want to say about one of the characters, but all right, go from there. I don't know where we stop. I think we were pretty much done talking about Cyril, but yeah, yeah, I think we were we were done with him. All right, so pick up wherever you'd like, sir. 
All right. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, I think we've talked about the episodes. I think we've talked about high points of the episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I did want to ask you your thoughts on the heist. Um, I like that it wasn't an Ocean's Eleven sort of deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it it really was kind of a gritty, like, like I, I think they're doing a great job building tension as these characters carry some of these things out. Like, they're these are not foregone conclusions, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and, and there's steps of, of, of process with these things that could go horribly wrong along the way. And I like how the characters or the actors playing the characters do a great job of, of showing that tension on their faces and in their body language as they do things, because, because yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's just really, you know, I think sometimes when you watch, you know, the ocean movies or, you know, the Bourne movies and that sort of thing, you, you just kind of come to a, a sense of, Oh, this is how this is going to play out. You know, like, like, you know, Jason Bourne won't get killed here and he won't, you know, because otherwise the movie's done. But you, you know, I think yeah. when the heist happened, I I'm glad they showed it in a very gritty way. I'm glad they showed, you know, there was a lot of money they left behind. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like it wasn't like they, like I looked at that. I'm like, how on earth are they going to rob that whole thing with the Imperials helping them? And sure enough, I mean, they got some of it, but it was not, you know, the entirety of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they paid a price for it along the way. You know, I mean, they lost, they, they lost three, three of their, uh, group. Um, I mean, of course one of them and or shot in cold blood because he knew, he knew that he was kind of a scumbag, but, um, well, yeah, I mean, everyone, no one made it. The only two people who end up making it out overall are, uh, you know, is, is Andor and then, uh, what's her face? Uh, I have the Vel? cast. Uh, Vel, yes. Uh, Cinta yeah. is also making it out, but we, we don't know quite yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so she made it out, or at least she, she survived. She's on her way. <laughs> yeah, she's on her little scooter. That's right. And, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's not a, 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 a neat and clean sort of like, you know, and that's the thing with the, with the oceans movies, part of that is just the fact that it's, it's the style. Yeah. It's, that is one of those deals where it's like, it's not so much, it's not the destination, it's the journey yes. that you're there to watch. Yes. And that's the fun part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate how th- there is a cost. It is not neat and clean. It is not everybody gets out and Hey, everything mm-hmm. is great. Like, no, that <laughs> there, there is going to be consequences, even though, which again, helps you to at least appreciate the fact that there are some competent Imperial officers and Imperial personnel Mm -hmm. um, because they don't just kind of make it out free and clear. Yeah. They, they get taken out. Like the Imperials are competent enough to figure out something's going, something's going wrong. Right. 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 And and to do something about it. So yeah, no, it's, I, I, I like the heist. I like the, you know, the fact that it it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Yep. Um, it was, it was interesting. The escape is kind of interesting with the TIE fighters and all that. Um, oh my gosh, the TIE fighters on that yeah. planet. Yeah. That was insane. Seeing those fly around in the atmosphere. Yes. Um, and, and just to hear that and, and, and to think about, okay, yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like that seeing something like that, just come cruising down on the deck like that and making that sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Or I think it was in episode five when they were in the middle of their training and they kind of, you know, like they, they, they couldn't get to shelter in time and they thought maybe it would take, take a shot. And all they were, all the TIE fighter did was just like buzz the water and make a a huge amount of noise and like just buzz them. Um, 
what like like that's a great point you bring up like they are you know i think a lot of people who grew up on the movies look at tie fighters as these fragile you know non non-lethal kind of ships and and i think they're doing a great job of showing just how intimidating these things really are Mm -hmm. you know and 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 both in sound and in size and in what they represent and uh yeah no i i that that's a great call yeah no i thought that i thought that was great and you know again the fact that it's there's a price to be paid and then and then the fact that you get the guy who's trying to double cross yep you know and and we now kind of see Andor getting more and more closer to the the guy that he is in Rogue One because he's just sort of like playing along with it and all of a sudden just like, yeah, and you're done. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez, okay. Yeah. You know, but still playing along with enough, you know, for those who are like, oh, this is Star Wars. It's still enough because, I mean, that guy totally got shot like five feet away from where everyone was and nobody seemed to hear the blaster, which I was yeah. like, see, there you go. There's some unrealism to go along with the fact that nobody is wearing seatbelts. So just don't worry. It's still Star Wars. Still Star Wars. Okay. So slightly funny thing, like right after he shoots that guy, I love how when he walks into the 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 medical tent or wherever they, you know, wherever Vel was to get yeah. uh, that one character, you know, fixed and they determine he's, you know, passed on. And and the surgeon has like four arms or something that when mm-hmm. Andor walks in, like all four arms go up like <laughs> Yeah, stick up. It was hysterical. Like I kind of chuckled at that. I'm like, all right, that's a really cool, you know, attention to detail there to have like all four arms go up like that. Like I'm not doing anything. Yeah, but at different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Does yeah. That was good. Um, and then you 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 just hit on something that I thought was really interesting too. Is is I love how there is just the seeds of uh, deception and backstabbing planted both on the rebel side, but also on the Imperial side, like oh, yeah. the ISB agent, uh, Deidre Mero, who is, you know, trying to understand like, what is the, th- like, like she's on to what the rebels are doing. She's like, this is exactly what I would do. I would not scale the same wall twice. I would spread things out as much as far and as wide as I can to avoid detection. So she's like kind of trying to figure this out. And, you know, I love the interaction in episode seven where the, I, I forget the guy, but this, this one guy's trying to like do her in or whatever. And, and because of her, you know, motivation and what she was trying to do, she ends up, you know, getting his assignment and, and is rewarded for her, for her ambition. But I love how, when she walks out with, with the, with the ISB director, he's, yeah. you know, he wants to have a word of her and he's just like, watch your back. Yeah. <laughs> like that's I, all he says to her. I do appreciate how like you you that is one of the aspects of seeing like how comfortable the empire is and just yeah. also but also lending it this real cutthroat sort of edge of you know these meetings aren't so much meetings as they are like philosophical debates with yeah. this guy like it's like having Aristotle as your you know your group supervisor and you know he's just doesn't really care about dissent he's using that yep to, to totally keep people on edge and all that oh my gosh yeah that was so that was so good when he does he takes her out and he's like you know watch your back and that's it like oh man yeah that's but, it again it kind of gives you a little bit more insight and you're like oh yeah. wow the empire is more menacing yeah and than, but, you, than you've seen before but it also clues you into one of the key ingredients behind the rebellion because the imperial you know, I don't know if he was a general or, or, or what he was at, at, um, oh crap. What, what was the name of that planet they were on when they did the heist? Um, uh, I don't know. One planet second. Oh, on Aldani, 
Yes. I think his name is Gorn. Um, let me see if I can find Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, so the guy who, who the the colonel or whatever. Lieutenant who Gorn. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's helping the rebels because of I forget if it was if he was passed over for promotion or or something else, but you well, no, he had he uh, he fell in love with a a woman on the planet. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then something happened to her, and now he's gotcha. He ain't happy with the empire no more. Gotcha. Okay. Um. So in his case, it was personal, but but you can see how with the way the the empire works and the backstabbing nature of it is when someone is on the lesser end of the backstab you begin to wonder if that's where a lot of the of uh, you know like a lot of the rebels and a lot of the intelligence about the empire comes from you know because you have all these mm -hmm. defectors who are like okay they screwed me over i'm i'm not doing this anymore i'm gonna go with these guys and or and 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 you know put the screws to them because they they hosed me you yeah. know like like you you can start to see the seeds of that being planted through things like this 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 deidre thing that happens because you know she of course is continuing forward doing her thing you know i don't think the guy that got that got hosed in the process is is gonna flip or anything like that but but if that environment is there you can see how some people end up leaving and becoming you know like Bodhi was one of them from from rogue one the pilot Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, break, he, he breaks away. We don't know why he, I don't think we ever get a clear explanation as to why he broke away, but he clearly got disenfranchised with the empire and just left. Yep. And so you just wonder, you know, as, as the season goes on or as we get into season two, just how much of, of that sort of, you know, environment that is being cultivated in the empire really is it's undoing long-term because so many people become so discouraged or, or disconnected or disenfranchised mm -hmm. that they see then what, what the rebels, what, what the rebels are trying to do and want to exact, you know, kind of vengeance in their own way on the empire for it. Yep. So. Agreed. All right. One last thing before we wrap this up. Uh, and for those keeping score, yes, we're, we, we might actually wrap this up a full hour ahead of what we normally do. Don't jinx us. Oh, boy. Uh, but I just want to point out uh, the actor, Alex Ferns, who plays si Sergeant uh, Linus Mosk of the uh, Security Corps, or whatever they're called. I, let me find their, their name again here. Um, uh, let's see. What are they? Pre-more security is what they were called. Okay. Uh, he, he's kind of this bigger guy, and, and he's, he's the lieutenant that kind of, you know, backs Cyril in his, you know, move to go after Andor uh, down, down on the planet. And um, what was really striking to me was um, not only the uniforms, but also just how that particular actor looked in that uniform. Uh, for those who play Star Wars The Old Republic, um, mm -hmm dude looks like ripped right out of that game because they, they, they have some more burly looking characters in outfits just like that, where I'm just like, dang, that looks like one of the levels I played like in on Alderaan or something like that, where you got <laughs> some guy in a blue suit and he's this bigger guy and he's like looking, you know, he's trying to look for that promotion and, and, and be the, the aggressive, you know, go getter. And you have to slap him around a little bit to, you know, calm him down. And, and anyways, um, I, I just kind of giggled at that because both, 
both, you know, between Cyril and that character, they just looked like they were they were ripped right out of that that game in in terms of just their look. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that was just something that was a little funny to me, just, just a little kind of east. Like I don't know if that's what their intention was. It was a little Easter egg for me because I'm like, man, I remember seeing that in the game like quite a few times, and so it was just kind of funny to see it, you know, kind of play out uh, play out in the show. So yeah, uh, I'm trying to find that guy. Oh, here he is. Alex Ferns. Uh, you know what? I could have just searched for Alex Ferns. That would have been way helpful. Well, way more right. helpful. That's all right. Okay, that he isn't who I'm thinking of. Then I thought that. Uh, oh, is that actually? I think it is Glukov. Um, he was in Chernobyl, and I think he ah. was the he was one of the miners. Oh, really? I think he might have been like the the lead miner because I was listening to his voice. I'm like, okay, that guy I've heard before. I've heard that voice before. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that might be it. Very but no, cool. he was he was a favorite because especially that moment where uh, where where uh, what's his face there? Uh, I can't remember his character's name, but the dude who gets henpecked by his mom. Oh, Cyril. And, yeah, Cyril. Okay, and it, and he's he's trying to give like the speech. Yes, you know yeah. the, the rally speech. And it's like the worst the worst motivational speech ever. Yeah. And 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 then that that guy there, Mosk, ends up you know applauding. Was like, "Well done, sir." <laughs> yes, yeah. Like he played the Stooge part perfectly well. I mean, it was oh, so yeah. good. It was so good. Oh my gosh! Like just such a suck up. It was yeah. great. Oh yeah. And then yep. uh, two final shout outs. Uh, we've talked about Stellan Skarsgård. Fantastic job there. Um, uh, Anton Lesser, who plays Major uh, Partagaz, uh, the the uh, director in, in the ISB room. Uh, he is from Game of Thrones. Uh, he played, uh, let me get his name, Maester Quyburn, uh, who was quite a influential character in that series. So it was very cool to see him in a Star Wars series. And then the character of Vel, uh, one of the the rebel leader on Aldani, uh, Faye mm. Marseille is the actress. Uh, she also uh, of Game of Thrones, uh, playing the character the Waif, uh, who uh, fans of that show will know. Um, she was kind of a sadistic character. So, uh, mm. so anyways, ni- nice to see her on 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 the good side of things uh, for once. So, well, you know, I mean, it's, I'm just glad that you got some tie back to your your favorite little dragon and and sword show there. That's absolutely. Glad Absolutely. that you you can always which you, you should watch sometime. No, I I'm telling you, you dude, I watched like two episodes. I'm uh, it's not my jam. Oh, it's just gosh. not my jam. Oh, it's not. Maybe uh, we, we do, do. I need to bring back the fantasy football segment. Go right ahead. You can talk about your <laughs> fantasy football team all you want. I ain't playing. <laughs> I have finally uh, freed myself, ladies and gentlemen. This is the first year. And I don't even know how long that I am not playing fantasy football. And you know what? My life is much the richer for it. All right. All right. I am a happy, I am a happier person. I wake up in the morning and uh, it's, I'm uh, whistling along with the birds. It's great. Everything I dreamed of and more. Well, that's the most important thing, I suppose. I suppose. I suppose. Just because you can't. Anything else on Andor, or do you think we've uh, drained drained this rock as much as we can? I think that we have. I think that uh, it's a it's a good show. I'm very. uh, I'm I'm actually. This is working out so well as a series because I you wouldn't be able to get this type of depth with this big of a cast in just a movie, and it's. I think this is working out just the way it should absolutely absolutely do check it out if you haven't of course by now if you've listened we've spoiled about three quarters of 
the first seven episodes. So, um, yeah, well, oh, well, oh, well, but do check it out. Good show. Good show. And another thing. So what have you got for and another thing this week, sir? Well, to kind of uh, go along with the Rebel versus Empire theme, I just finished a book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell uh, called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Hmm. Uh, very good book. Um, very interesting book about, uh, you know, kind of takes a look at the David and Goliath story, kind of gets into a little bit of the history of it. Uh, and, and, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of in a logical way explaining, you know, how, how that fight could have gone down the way that it did and why, and then, you know, kind of then directing his, his, uh, writing into, three parts, one called the advantages of disadvantages and the disadvantages of advantages. Uh, the mm. second part on the theory of desirable difficulty. And then the third part on the limits of power and really just kind of talking through, you know, different ways how, um, you know, in, in different situations where it seems like, you, you know, the, the deck is stacked against you or you're dealing with a disadvantage, you know, how you can kind of turn that around and, and sharing some stories and, and, you know, accounts of people who have done that, you know, one example from the book, and I think is in the first chapter is, you know, how, how this one, uh, this, this father who, you know, became a, a coach of a, of a girl's basketball team, and, and a team of girls who really didn't have much experience playing basketball decided, well, you know, he studied the game. He, he, he understood the rules and decided, I think I'm just going to have him practice and train to just play the full court press the entire time. And by doing that, even though the girls weren't great, but he taught them defense and how to play defense, they actually ended up, you know, being quite competitive because they played mm -hmm. the game in an unconventional way. Uh, and, and that's kind of his point is just like ways that you can kind of take situations. And if you study the conventional approach, can you find or identify the unconventional, you know, to kind of, um, steer you in a different direction. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, so just a really interesting book. Um, the, the third part, the limits of power is really interesting talking about, you know, people who have, you know, tried to exert power in a certain way to, you know, drive toward a certain conclusion or, or direction and, and how, you know, that can go horribly wrong because, you know, that the, when you try to direct power in a certain direction, the way you do it and how you approach it, um, you know, can very much derail what, where you're trying to go. And, you know, using examples of, of uh, you know, kind of what was going on in Ireland between, you know, um, uh, Catholics and Protestants and, and how, you know, the British army came in and, and the way they kind of handled it and how it just kind of exacerbated the, the situation into a much worse, you know, uh, situation later on. And so, um, so just a, just a lot of really interesting things to think about and just kind of a, approaches to, uh, just situations where, you know, you, you might be facing, a, you know, kind of a disadvantaged scenario and, and how you can maybe think a little bit differently about it and, and the ways that people have thought about it. So uh, highly recommend it. Uh, David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants by Malcolm Gladwell. Excellent. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And as, uh, as luck would have it, I also am recommending a book this week. Wow. Uh, dovetails very nicely with the themes of, of uh, the man they call Tim's book, another very uh, intellectual tome. It's called The Kaiju Preservation Society uh, by John Scalzi, and I'm totally making the rest of that up. Uh, it is not. It is, it is a – It's. Um, well, you know what? Here, let me just read the, uh, the little do. description here. Please do. Uh, 
So when COVID-19 sweeps through New York City, Jamie Gray is stuck as a dead-end driver for food delivery food delivery apps. That is until Jamie makes a delivery to an old acquaintance who works at what he calls an animal rights organization. Tom's team needs a last-minute grunt to handle things on their next field visit. Jamie, eager to do anything, immediately signs on. What Tom doesn't tell Jamie is that the animals his team cares for are not here on Earth, not our Earth at least. In an alternate dimension, massive dinosaur-like creatures named kaiju roam a warm, human-free world. They're the universe's largest and most dangerous panda, and they're in trouble. It's not just the Kaiju Preservation Society who have found their way to the alternate world. Others have too, and their carelessness could cause millions back on Earth to die. So, one, I was kind of fascinated by the fact that this book is is the first one that I've really come across. Granted, I haven't been searching specifically in this direction, but it's a, the first book I've come across that places it within COVID-19 world, mm. um, which is interesting. My first uh impression uh, after i was about halfway through the book i was sort of like man this is it's it's uh it's junk food kind of reading in a yeah. way it's not meant to be a steak dinner it's a cheeseburger and a french fry and a you know large cola sort of meal you know which is interesting because then when you get to the end of the book and the the author kind of takes you on a little bit of a journey in the afterward about the writing of the book, you then get it like, oh, I understand why this book is the way it is. Um, he had another book in mind. It didn't quite work out. And then he kind of just had this idea, started writing it, and it was just fun. And he's like, I wasn't trying to be, you know, intellectual or anything like that. I'm just trying to write something that's fun that would take my mind off of this other thing. And that's how the book came about. I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, it's a fun ride. It's a, it's a quick read. I think I, I yeah. read it in the couple afternoons it's not a huge tome it's entertaining in its way and it's it's fun sci-fi and there's some interesting thoughts in there and it's very economical storytelling in that it doesn't get it doesn't get belabored into uh describing every single plant and every single mechanism which is one of the things that annoys me about some uh, sci-fi writing and especially fantasy writing this is why i really cannot get into fantasy uh, mm. books a lot because the world building ends up devolving into like essentially the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, I'm sorry for everyone who's out there who's listening. The Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> gosh, I forget what how old like I am. Wikipedia? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, it ends up devolving into basically a Wikipedia article or, or an encyclopedia article where it's just, it's just information after information just being shoveled into your face for chapters on end i can't stand that that is one of the things that this book does not do it does very well it gives you just enough information you can imagine the rest and it moves the story along and it moves pretty quickly and um yeah it 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 works you know it's nice. not the world's greatest book but you know what it's a fun read and if you're and if you're like me where i had gotten stuck reading um in my reading uh habit where I just I hit a book, uh, kind of a wall in the last book I was reading, and I was like, ah, crap! I need to find something else to read. This was the perfect book to read because it was like, okay, I can get into this and just blaze through it. Um, so it's a good it's a good book there if you're looking for something that's kind of just you're not gonna have to, you know, hinge your entire life on this thing for 
for weeks on end. Like yeah. you can, you can, if you're a, if you're a, a moderately quick reader, you can take this down in a couple days and it's just, it's a fun little ride. It's not meant to be, you know, war and peace. It's a fun little ride and you're done with it. I actually want to go back and check out some of this author's uh, other books because uh, he is a writer of some renown and uh, I'm anxious to see what his other books are like that are not necessarily written in these circumstances that he wrote this book. So I'm, I'm curious for that, but uh, I do recommend the, the Kaiju Preservation Society as a, as a fun little read, should you be interested in such that thing. Nice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have now come to that time, and let me, let me check the time. And yeah, we, I, we might just be able to tie this up in under two hours. Holy shnikes, wouldn't that be a nice surprise? Oh, but thank you very much for tuning in. We do appreciate it. Thank you to all the members of the Free Range EDC congregation who have uh, chimed in here, who have uh, come down to our little traveling medicine show, our, our snake oil uh, sales pitch here on the uh, outskirts of town. We do certainly appreciate it. If you have not been following us, uh, you can go to freerangeadc.com and you can download all of our episodes there. You can also listen right through the Podbean app. You can also find us on various pod uh, podcast services uh, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, all of those fun stuff. Just search for Free Range EDC. I'm sure you, that you'll find us. You can also find us on the social medias. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram, uh, Twitter. No progress, but you know what? It seems like Elon Musk is going to buy it anyways, and it's going to go right down the uh, the pooper, so I'm not too upset about that. Uh, but you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, both of those are at Free Range EDC. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, or any ideas for a show, because you know what? We're idiots. Uh, we, we can only think of so many things. And, and quite honestly, if you want to change, well... <laughs> Send us some ideas. Send those to Tim at FreeRangeEDC.com and we'll uh, take them under advisement. Uh, as usual, Tim will be much more astute observer and he'll actually put some thought into this. Mm -hmm. I'll just pick stuff out of a hat, quite honestly. I am neither proud. I just like listening to the sound of my own voice, mm -hmm. if you haven't noticed already. All right, but now before, I'm going to hand this off to the the uh, the least idiotic of the two idiots who run this show, but not before I ask the second most important question in all of humankind, the first, of course, being what is hip? The second being, when the hell did we learn this week? Uh, we've learned the following, my friend. Ah, uh, good. Uh, we have learned that the word unimpeachable is a word. And it was used to describe my Star Wars prowess, which I very much appreciate. So thank you once again, sir. I think it's prowess, not prowess. We've now learned that it's pronounced prowess <laughs> and not prowess. <laughs> thank you once again, my literary guide, Uncle Todd. Uh, you, you've been ballyhooing too much. You, I was just going to say, we, we have also learned ballyhooing is a verb and can You're be applied as such. You're too tired from all your ballyhooing. I am. If you're not, if you're not careful, you, you can go blind that way too. <laughs> you can't. You just, just got to be very careful. Uh, we <laughs> I'm not getting I'm not going any closer to that one, folks. You all can ponder that all you want, <laughs> or tone it all. I, I, you know what? I don't even recommend pondering it. That might you get a rash. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say uh, that we have learned uh, that the Free Range EDC uh, gents here are, are very much on board with the return of Bray Wyatt and where that is all going. Uh, if you are a wrestling fan, I want to check it out. Stay tuned and see where uh, these, these good storylines are going, ladies and gentlemen. 
Mm-hmm. We've also learned uh, Creed 3. It's going to be a little bit of Rocky 3, a little bit of Rocky 5, but not exactly a duplicate of either. So we will see. Uh, but looks like a very solid outing, March 3rd, 2023. Uh, do check it out. And of course, as we've been discussing for the last hour or so, Andor, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely check it out. It is mm-hmm. a different rhythm, a different style, a, a much welcome uh, kind of approach to Star Wars storytelling and uh, very excited to see where the back half of the season goes. We will return with a, a assessment, if you will, of season one once it is completed. Uh, I'll have to see if uh, good old Saw uh, Guerrero, when he comes out, has Borgullet Gullet with him because he just likes to say that name. And apparently... Well, don't you? Borgullet. Gullet! Um, but nonetheless... Borgullet Gullet will know! <laughs> say it the dream! Oh but nonetheless, uh, we will be back with a, a recounting of season one once it is concluded. Uh, with all that being said, uh, as we like to close things out, uh, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. And, uh, you know, just because it's good practice and a sound environmental approach, if you would, please uh, hit your lights on the way out. It's like I took the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon. What did you say? Sorry for the remote rendezvous, Mando. You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. They all hate you, Mando. All of you relax. This is a matter of inconvenient timing. That's all. Police action was inevitable. It's necessary, so let them fumble about outside and stay calm. This is simply the beginning. Have you come to kill me? <laughs> There's not so much of me left. I've ballyhooed myself to nothing. <laughs> oh now get the hell out of here!